Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 191 of the Fun with Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the one final race of 2015. There was only one final race, and this was it. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and that is it. The 2015 F1 season is in the bag. These cars are now vintage F1 cars and uh, can be treated as such. And it was not the most thrilling of finales, but it had some moments. And, and it was uh, not the least. Uh, yeah, not the least. And, and we had some things. Right. So as we, of course, know, the championships were decided uh, for... F- uh, the Constructors' Championship has been clinched for a long time now. Drivers' Championship for three races. And uh, and it was really, you know, first, second, and third spots were all confirmed. So it was really part of it, that race for fourth with Between the Fins, which you uh, did a blog post about the other day. I did do exactly that. That definitely came down towards Kimi Raikkonen, um, partly because of... Decisively so. Yeah, Vettel um, and his team just getting it wrong and qualifying and thinking they had enough time in the bank when they did not in Q1. So, you know, having him having Vettel out in Q1, which was a bit of an embarrassment, but didn't turn out to be, an, you know, that much of a problem at the end of the day. But that obviously helped Kimi Raikkonen because that put him third just behind the Mercedes, which is where he started well, and I, where he finished. More importantly, Raikkonen himself qualified very, very well. He ended up his qualifying time. I'd have to look it up, but it was, it was less than or right around half a second off Lewis Hamilton's Q3 qualifying time, that, you know, would often be the case. Maybe Nico nips him by half a tenth or something. But then uh, Rosberg comes in with a storming, crazy good qualifying time, and that put Raikkonen eight tenths behind pole. But really, it was probably Raikkonen's best qualifying of the season. And even if Vettel was around for Q2 and Q3, had Raikkonen still performed that lap, I think there's a good chance he would have been Q3 anyway. Yeah. Um, and so my point is, it, all on his own, Raikkonen performed very strongly. And that's qualifying. I feel like during the race, um, if Vettel had started right next to him or right behind him, um, that you know maybe there's a chance Vettel would have gotten around at some point during the race and uh, and you know Kimi would have been uh, potentially moved back to fourth. But as it happens, uh, Botas was really not a threat uh, today, just for a variety of his own reasons, and uh, you know, pit stop trouble and all number of things. Botas qualified sixth, so yeah, even if Raikkonen in this theoretical world, even if Raikkonen ended up in fourth, he still would have started off in a better place than Botas. But Botas started sixth and basically went backwards, partially through no fault of his own, and partially because of. You know, his own decisions. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, Raikkonen ended up winning by a 14-point margin to decisively get uh, fourth in the championship, which is good for Raikkonen in a lot of ways. I'm especially happy that he finished on a high note and ended up having 150 points for the season. If you remember, this is something I brought up early this year. Raikkonen finished the season last year with something like 52 points. So to get another 100 points again from last year is definitely in the right direction there's a real good chance that uh 2016 will be Raikkonen's last season in Formula One or at the very least Formula One uh with Ferrari and I want that to be a very good season and I think this is one of the best ways to lead into that yeah I think a lot of people are already looking at how is this going to stack up for next season you know I think partly because so many of the, uh, the positions in the championships were already decided, or you know, and things were solidified. But uh, 
there wasn't a big, like, who's going to win? Oh my gosh, I can't, you know, where am I going to end up? A lot of things were like, yeah, I'm going to end up where I was. And, you know, it's good to have a solid end of the season. But a lot of people are looking forward, especially uh, Ferrari, um, who has had this resurgence lately and, to, you know, much better results lately. I mean, they did, you know, the win in uh, in Malaysia at the beginning of the year, but to be able to really seem like, you know, they're, they're closer overall and best of the rest and seeing the uh, the battle between the Mercedes teammates uh, being pretty, pretty rough these days. And with all this momentum behind Rosberg, um, you know, that's all That's all good for Vettel, I think, is to see uh, more sort of fighting between Hamilton and Rosberg and not them as necessarily a, a unified uh, team working against Ferrari, but more battling between each other, that uh, that's probably good for Ferrari. Of course, Nico Rosberg is looking forward. Um, it's, you know, more than anyone probably to just get on with 2016 because he's on such a roll right now and he, you know, imagines he can go forward and just take this momentum and, and run with it. Uh, and there's a pretty good chance that the Mercedes will still be the number one car next year, but that's not a given. So there's a number of things uh, for people looking forward. Um, and, you know, I think down down the grid, I mean, you know, Williams, uh, both drivers are probably, uh, you know, keen to uh, to go and, and try to just, you know, iron out some of the technical problems, a lot of the pit stop problems and some of the nonsense that happened this year. Uh, Red Bull's looking forward to uh, getting the new engine, whatever that new engine is. And uh, I think it's you know, uh, welcome, going. meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Yeah. Is almost certainly what it is but I, red bull dacia i do want <laughs> i do want to uh go back to uh rossberg he finished the season extremely strong it was six poles in a row at the end of the season and it was which you know comes close to hamilton's uh record tying eight poles in a row and rossberg right at the end just boom 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 went right through it when Lewis Hamilton claimed the Drivers' World Championship this season, it was at the United States Grand Prix, and it was because he had more than a 75-point lead on Rosberg. And at that time, if you'll remember, Rosberg was actually in a little bit of danger of not getting second in the championship. Um, Vettel was closing in. Well, since the United States Grand Prix, when Rosberg was furious at the team, but much more importantly at himself, He's gone on to win the next three races in a row. He scored 75 points and gained quite a bit on Hamilton. Finished the championship 59 points behind Lewis Hamilton. So that means he closed the gap quite a bit in the end and has all the momentum going his way. Now, there was an article in Autosport a while ago saying, hey, why wasn't Nico driving like this when the championship was still alive? Right. The real key is if Rosberg can keep this competitiveness going while the championship's alive, we're on for an absolute thriller. Right. We should be. And the other question is, uh, is Lewis, you know, he sort of said, oh, I've, I've, you know, I don't have the balance in the car. The car has changed. I've never really felt right since Singapore and all this. So it's how much of this is Rosberg's driving changing and how much of it is Lewis's driving changing uh, because – uh, you know Hamilton now the pressure is off and you know he he has you know still won some races in Singapore but to be able to uh you know he can relax and maybe for him you know it's the opposite where he kind of needs that pressure to get him in the right state of mind to really go and push hard and whatever which uh you know who knows different different people work differently and, and maybe that's how it is but um you know I remember seeing some of this with uh, you know with Rosberg's late uh you know not resurgence you know not to the same extent because this championship was still on in 2014 but there was some momentum behind uh, behind Rosberg and, you know, catching up. And then, of course, in the final race, he was still on the back foot going into Abu Dhabi. And then, of course, it didn't end well for him there. But 
that's why you know at the end of 2014, I thought, man, Miko Rosberg, he's probably going to get his stuff together and he's really going to be on top. And um, yeah, it, he did well to close the gap, but it's still um, the fact that it was clinched uh, a while ago, as you know, as the driver championship was. You know, he, it was um, the very end of the season after the championship was decided. Nico Rosberg's done great, and uh, you know, a championship-worthy drive. But you know, to be to win a championship, obviously, you need to get the driving done when it matters, when there's points on the line, um, and of course, there's there's all these other factors as well. With not only um, you know being able to take advantage when situations don't go your way, and there's some amount of luck and weather and everything else that comes into it. But um, uh, so I, I agree that he sort of should be able to do that. Um, but I think he should have been able to do that this year as well, and just simply didn't. So. But we have to see, I guess, how, how it pans out in the first couple of races of 2016 and just kind of see how, how Rosberg's year unfolds and see if he actually ends up with a solid lead over Hamilton or if Hamilton is going to get back in the right zone and, and do his thing. Or if they're both on the back foot chasing Ferrari next year or chasing the Haas or chasing right. the McLaren or who knows. And who <laughs> chasing Haas, unlikely, but yes. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because in 2014, there was a lot of attention on Hamilton, but... Rosberg absolutely got the jump because Hamilton's car failed. Rosberg uh, won the first race, and Hamilton was playing catch-up almost the entire season, and it was very close. And then Spa of 2014 happened. There was an attitude shift. You know, Rosberg was blamed for that, and because they collided with each other in Spa, Rosberg was blamed for that uh, collision, and that kind of changed things. And I feel like. There's been a long, just kind of slow and painful recovery from this. So Rosberg was leading, but considered kind of the number two guy in 2014. Ended up being the case that that was correct. This year, Hamilton was, you know, kind of in front from the beginning. And Rosberg was struggling. And, you know, one of his early wins at Monaco was an absolute gift. It was a gaffe right. by the team. And... And uh, but now, now we're talking about uh, very, very strong racing from Rosberg. If Hamilton's having an issue or not, really almost irrelevant, right? I mean, they have the same car, and Rosberg's been doing better in that car. Yeah, and it has been. Um, these haven't been gifts for Rosberg. He has earned pole positions, you know, and fair fights. You know, some sometimes every once in a while, the, you know, the weather and stuff is a little bit weird. It goes one way or it goes another. But the last few races have been straight shootouts and Rosberg has been faster. So it's not, it's not that Hamilton's making it easy for him by any means. Um, and I just wonder if, you know, Hamilton for his own reason has kind of, uh, you know, fallen off a little bit, maybe, maybe because he doesn't have to, so he can, uh, take it, take it a little more easy in terms of his, his, you know, level of preparation and mental whatever. Um, but he's still, I mean, Lewis is right there. Anytime Rosberg has been number one, uh, Hamilton has been number two in these last couple races. That's right. So it's, you know, Hamilton is still there keeping him honest and, uh, and doing the thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, in a way, I kind of hope Rosberg can, can get his due, but uh, I, I am still more of a Hamilton fan uh, just in terms of what he's able to, to do with a car and to see him, you know, having fun with it and, and being, um, you know, from his early career and early success at McLaren and all that and to, to carry that on and really do what it seems like he's done um, to, to help turn Mercedes around, um, which it's, it's just interesting to see. And, of course, Rosberg was at Mercedes, uh, you know, driving a Schumacher for a while and sort of it seems like the car has gotten much better. I mean, we know that. Uh, certainly relative to the other cars in the grid, but um, just 
you know, Lewis coming to that team um, and how that worked out with the, the cars, the turbo engines. Uh, but it's not just engine. I mean, of course, there's other cars with the Mercedes powertrain, and yet the Mercedes is still so dominant. So it's like the whole car and team and everything and drivers have, have really come together well. And that seems to be a lot more lined up with what Lewis has been doing uh, than necessarily something that Nico brought to the team. But, um, you know, I, I hope it can do well for him. And at the very least, I hope that it's competitive because that's the most fun, whether it's uh, Vettel versus Hamilton or Hamilton versus Rosberg or whatever. Uh, maybe Raikkonen can become more competitive and he can be up in this mix as well. Um, and really, you know, the more the merrier, right? If get, get Ricardo back so he's challenging for podiums and Lonzo and Button, who knows? But, um, you know, the fact that there's some battling is really what matters. So that, that kept the season interesting uh, with some success for Rosberg at the end. It wasn't just, oh, look, Hamilton goes off and wins every race. And of course, he's champion. And now he's just, you know, extending that lead further and further. That's not quite as inter- interesting to see as okay, yeah, he's a world champion and he's done really well, but now he's kind of on the back foot and he's being outperformed by his teammate. That was uh, an interesting way to end the season. Uh, Agreed. Now, uh, we've talked about uh, Mercedes and who won the championship and who won the race. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now to the interesting stuff. Force India. Couldn't believe how strong they finished uh, the season. They've been, uh, historically at least, They've been clever with coming up with snappy new designs for their cars, kind of punching above their weight, to use a boxing reference, um, when it came to competing with the big teams. But they just did not have the funds uh, to uh, develop the car throughout the season like the other teams did. So we tend to see them start strong and kind of fall off a little bit as time went by. This time it was the exact opposite. They had a lot of struggles even getting the car ready right. they, for the beginning of the season. They missed all the first tests and everything, yeah. Exactly right. But they finished the season with a uh, with a uh, fifth and seventh place result, and they finish fifth in the constructors championship, their best ever, and ninth and tenth in the drivers championship. Exactly yeah. right. So it's been a phenomenal season for them. Plus, we still are. That's ultimately still just rumors, but we still have the chance that Aston Martin is going to uh, take the name. Uh, is going to rename the team, and they're going to get some more money as a result. And it could be this could be a real strong team in 2016, and I would love to see them becoming uh, regular podium threats. Right, as we not so much lately, but have seen over the course of the season with Williams, where we know that Mercedes powertrain, at least for 2015, was the thing to have. Uh, Force India has that as well. So to be able to have them, you know, clearly the, the drivers seem to be you know, at a, at a good spot and doing well with the car. Uh, there have been some, you know, things of bad luck and some unreliability, but uh, on, a, on a good weekend, you know, Checo has been able to do really well. Nico Hulkenberg has also been able to do well. And uh, and so, you know, I, I think you say they end up um, basically in the top half of the field. I mean, right in the middle, <laughs> with ninth and 10th um, is, is really right in the center of the driver's championship. Um, but to do so in what has been uh, just a lower, lower level car, um, I'm hoping, yeah, like you say, they can sort of take the next step up. Um, well, and look, it's it's not even just that they were fifth in the championship. They were fifth in the championship, and let's see, that's 22 plus 36. So that's 58 points. Um, they were 58 points ahead of Lotus, who was sixth in the championship, and only 51 points behind uh, Red Bull Racing, fourth in the championship. Point is, they're actually closer, points at least, wise, closer to fourth in the championship than they were um, from uh, being overtaken by sixth in the championship. Right, and of course, as we know, Lotus also has that Mercedes powertrain, <laughs> that engine at least. So uh, That is correct. To uh, to out- outclass them uh, has done really well. Uh, there, of course, still hangs this big cloud over Lotus as there was all these rumors and, you know, 
it seemed for a while like almost oh yeah this is pretty much confirmed they're going to get bought up by Renault um, but that just hasn't really happened yet um, and of course we remember the whole potential buyout was it Quantum Investments or who was the company that was going to um, buy yeah. them out and yeah, yeah, Janai yeah. was like oh yeah this the, you know we're trying to wire the money internationally and there's been delays and all these kind of things and it just like you know, yeah the, the the team hasn't disappeared but um, there's been just some some weirdness with deals over the years with uh, with that team so I hope that they can continue to do well it seems like this late in the season the fact that they haven't announced anything um, there's a possibility they could be a Renault team but still run with Mercedes engines next year um, just if the the you know it gets too late to really redesign the car around a new engine package or you know depending on how all the politics Boy, shake out if if that happens I really hope if even if Renault owns it they don't change the name right it would be very silly right. to see yeah. a Renault Mercedes car right. I mean and you remember some of these like, when there was the BMW Sauber Ferrari when it was just the the naming rights were one thing but the engine was something else and so they're like well it's a BMW Ferrari uh, the engine's actually Ferrari but because we you know we couldn't change the name it's like right now we have a Manor Marussia even though Marussia has nothing to do with it. Um, it's just the FIA is really particular about what the team is called, and you can't just change it, uh, and it's, it has to be a whole approval process and a whole long thing. So um, part of it is the, the politics side of, of, you know, like like having, you know, the car name with two, uh, you know, manufacturers in it that aren't related to each other. Um, but then the other part of it is the actual engineering of, you know, if those, if those guys haven't been working on a car design based around the Renault powertrain, then now is a pretty late time in the year to start, you know, with uh, – just to, to design a new car and really, you know, redo it. Well, I heard rumors that they were just going to take Honda's old designs and just, you know, rehash. Yeah. Kidding. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. And it's gone quiet. And that is um, unsettling for certain. But uh, it, getting back to where we started, though, uh, Force India to finish as strong as, as they did was really great to see. I know for you personally, to see uh, uh, Sergio Perez in particular do so well, um, and uh, ended up he ended up finishing ahead of Nico Hulkenberg, and by twenty points too. By twenty points, yeah, he had a podium. Uh, Nico didn't. You know, Nico was too busy winning Le Mans. And I think that Sergio Perez, especially, can uh, really take a lot of pride in how the season worked out for him, and uh, it's shown that he's matured as a driver, and that he is becoming more of a complete package in terms of what he can bring to a team and Hulkenberg has always been quite highly regarded and I think even though he didn't finish as high as Sergio he still deserves that high regard I think he's a very strong driver right and with a lot of these guys you want to see them in a top car which for most teams means leaving whatever team you're at if you're if you're in a mid-pack car and getting into uh, you know a Mercedes ideally but you know those seats aren't aren't you know going empty anytime soon um, or maybe a Ferrari or maybe a Williams or whatever, but it seems like with the Force India, maybe that becomes pretty much a top car in the next couple of years. Could you know, do. I mean, that would be that would be a great development because those guys are are both at a, you know pretty good spots in their career and doing pretty well. When so. Nico Hulkenberg, uh, when Nico Rosberg first went to Mercedes, Mercedes was a mid back mid pack car. Sometimes not quite a mid pack car. Yeah, they were really off the pace for a while there with Schumacher of all people driving when, that car. It seems when, like that guy knows how to drive. When Mark Webber. Uh, started Red Bull Racing. That was a mid-pack car, so it absolutely can happen. And, uh, and Vettel if, joined Ferrari. That was not a strong car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but seriously, you know, cars swing around. I mean, you know, it, this has been said over and over again, but bears repeating at this moment. When Lewis left McLaren, everyone thought he was crazy. Right. Okay. So we would absolutely love to see. Force India 
make that gap. But, but another another team that I would love to see really push forward is Williams. They had a great season last year, fell off a little bit this year, and I really hope that they can uh, resurge and regain and really be competitive again. And on that note, uh, let's bring up McLaren because they haven't done those things. And everyone seems pretty uh, set on blaming the Hondas. And at the surface, that's painfully obvious as to why. Uh, For the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the number that kept being thrown out was, I heard, 18 or 19 miles an hour off the pace at the end of the yeah. back straight. I think that was a little bit of a fishing story because I think during practice they were, oh, it's 15, and then, oh, 16, and 17, and then by the time they were in post-race, oh, 19 miles an hour. So right. I don't know what the actual speed trap numbers were, but thereabouts. I mean, there was definitely a speed deficit. Sure. Let's say, you know, 17-ish miles an hour. I still hold, and I think they even conceded this. They said, oh, it's definitely Honda's fault, but maybe next year McLaren will go more conservative on the chassis so Honda has more cooling, which to me means... Yeah, McLaren didn't give the Honda enough cooling. And yeah, I understand that you have high standards and you hold people to those hands high standards. That's how you get excellence. It's like to a certain extent, but building an engine is an art, but oh, there's a lot of science involved. And there's a certain amount of physics of how much air it takes to remove how many degrees off of whatever critical components. Right. And if things are just running too hot, they're not going to work. And it's like, okay, so, so you have this high tolerance for this tight aerodynamic package, and it's pointless because we can't get you down the road anyway. Yeah, and it's it's one of these things that a lot of times I think comes back to the amount of testing. You know, uh, there's preseason testing. There's, you know, the in-season testing, you're only going to get so far when you've got one spec of a car and you just want to put some more laps on it to try to understand little differences. But once you get to the tests in February, when your first race is, race is maybe six weeks away in March um, – you're not going to have a radical redesign then either. You can't necessarily, you know, change drastic parts about how airflow is around the car and the real shape of the side pods and those kind of things. So that seems like in in years past or even in other series with, you know, sports cars and various things, um, they can do more testing. They can run more laps. And if Honda and McLaren were able to get on track sooner, they had so many issues with even just powertrain. Remember, you know, broken seals and all these various things. Yep. Um, and they have the, the, the crazy way they do their, um, their like linear impeller on the turbo and all these kind of things that, you know, seem like would have their own challenges. So, the the fact that they were not able to um, to test early enough and really just with enough time, and then they sort of had to come up with a design and say, well, we have limited testing, but this is the design we're going to go with, um, which is what it is for the 2015 season. And then they were able to make sm- you know small improvements and small changes, and and sometimes take step forwards, but sometimes really not. You know, we had somebody say, oh, it's going to be kind of our B-spec car, and it was like slower. And they said, oh, it's worse. Let's go back to the old one. Like it was not a clear path forward. And you know, the car did, did seem in general to get better over the course of the season, but. Um, so our hope is, uh, you know, 2015 season, as we said, is done. They can't go back and change any of that. So that is what it is, uh, that call it whatever you like. The damage has been done or the, the expectations have been, you know, the bar has been, has been lowered or whatever. So it's like, okay, that's, that's what we had for the first year. Um, they have so much more data now about just how the engine works and, um, you know, they hopefully know what the problems were. They've seen what else has been changed in the, uh, in, in the, the rest of the paddock up and down technically and uh, with cooling and with, with the other engines and all that. Uh, they're still going to be the only team running Honda Power, but the hope is they can just get to the root of whatever it was. And if what it was was that they had to keep turning the wick down because cooling was a problem, then if, if they can just address that and maybe then all of a sudden, hey, your engine now has 200 more horsepower because you're within our cooling envelope and now that's so much better. Right. That could be you know the change that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, so it's 
you know, I'm hopeful that they can uh, they can make such a change because it's, they're not. And, and I don't think they're lost at sea uh, like like some of the you know some teams have been over the years where they're just like we don't know what change we even need to make before to take a step forward. It seems like hopefully they've identified what it's going to take and can do so. Um, in the meantime, though, you know the politics there have gotten weird with you know Ron Dennis um, seemingly you know to be upset with some of the sort of the antics and the and the fun nature of what the drivers have been doing. I mean, I think of you know which is really a shame. Alonzo sunning himself and that becoming a whole meme and like t- talking about oh I just want to park the car and go home because we're not competitive anyway and I have to save fuel and I have to save tires and I have to save battery and what am I even doing here and GP2 engine you know all these things that have happened and that's really not Ron's well, style. But even even when they uh, jokingly went got up on the Brazilian. Uh, podium in brazil that was that was something that he got upset about it's like you know there's got to be some levity in the world you guys are having a hard time have fun with it you know make the most of it that's good pr and you know ron is just he seems to be getting more and more curmudgeonly like he just you know angry old man effect just full well on. i'm hoping that once the results start to turn around i mean a that the results do turn around for them but then you know everything everyone can 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 lighten up a little bit but um so i'm with the drivers i mean i think when especially when the results are crap um you do what you can to stay positive right and As not just I. be completely with you yes right and not not just be down all the time and be frustrated and go oh well another race well this is gonna suck so i guess this is what we do now like to try to do the fun that you can. And yeah, I mean, some of you get a little punchy in some of the interviews with trackside people and, you know, you say some stuff over the radio and whatever, but that's sort of like, it's like, dude, you know, you want, you know, Ron Dennis wants excellence. And right. Like you say, you want to push all your partners, whatever. It's like, they didn't get excellence for 2015. They, they tried and they did whatever they did, but, um, you know, separate from having that, they just want to do what they can to try to keep the fans from just hating McLaren or <laughs> thinking the drivers are really annoying or thinking the team, you know, they, they want to ultimately still get support from fans and, uh, and just respect within the, the paddock and all that. So, um, and they're, they're two, you know, veteran drivers that, uh, can, you know, if, I think if, if they were lesser drivers, people could raise more questions about, well, you know, Alonzo, can he really get this car around? Are they really pushing the car as hard as they can be? Both of these guys, Button and Alonzo, of course, are very strong drivers and right. they, they can, confident you know they can be confident in that and i think if you saw um some other drivers jumping on the podium and it's like it's like that's a bit presumptuous you know to sort of you know jump on the podium and you know when it's not when it's not really the ceremony and and just kind of be goofy about it is one thing but it's like we know these are top drivers uh we know the car is in a bad place but the fact that they're still trying to have fun with it and sort of just giving something for the fans to to talk about and cheer about and whatever and even even the Alonzo thing becoming a meme that all he was doing was sitting in a chair sunning himself but the fact that that was so random that people sort of made it a thing on Twitter is that's part of what's fun about social media and exactly. about seeing these drivers as people and not just as the machines that uh, that they come to be exactly and uh, just to go back uh, a second though um it was a big article that I read uh, in Race Car Engineering that, you know, a big part of why Ferrari is doing so much better this year as opposed to 2014 is 2014, the claim was people internal to Ferrari or close to uh, Ferrari internal stuff said there was way too much um, emphasis put on aerodynamics, way too many compromises against powertrain, and that ultimately cost them because the engine struggled to try to fit the uh, the requirements of aerodynamics. And for 2015, that was switched around. Engine was given a lot more clout in terms of, you know, cooling gaps, et cetera, that kind of stuff, space underneath the bodywork. And we saw... And Vettel was put in the car. <laughs> well, we saw the transformation in the car. And now we could be looking at 
literally the exact same thing with McLaren. And I just feel like aerodynamics are extremely important, but to negate uh, every other concern, including powertrain, including what literally motivates the car down the road, is a, is, is a mistake and actually a colossal one. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk regarding powertrain specifically um, with new 2017 regulations and new engine formula and the idea of you know people thinking, oh, these 1.6 liter turbos and curves and everything is too complicated. We should have just a naturally aspirated alternative so teams can run that and that'll be cheaper, um, which was talked about for a long time. We didn't talk about it a whole lot on the show, um, but that was eventually, just this past week, uh, decided against. Uh, they had... they had Thank uh, goodness. You know, had different engine companies try to offer bids and options and... Um, I, I, you know, was following, you know, Joe Sayward's blog about this and the, his point was, you know, if those engines are better than the one six turbos, then the, it sort of makes a joke of all this, you know, pushing technology forward and making it road relevance and all that. And then all of a sudden, if, if that's a better package, then why wouldn't Mercedes or Ferrari or Honda or everybody just jump on that version? If they could say, Oh, let's just run this. It's simpler. And it's, you know, just a little bit more displacement, two and a half liters they were talking about, um, <laughs> and, uh, and run that. And if the engines are worse then the small teams are just going to be farther back. You know, the teams that can't afford the better technology are just going to be in these slower cars that that's more the two tier formula that we're trying to get away from. Exactly. Um, so if they're, it's like, they can't be better, they can't be worse. And either way, it's a, it's a parallel development. So it's different companies spending money in developing. So, you know, I don't think that was just a political thing for Bernie to say, Hey, let's go through this whole process just to try to make a point to say, Oh, what we really should have is, you know, uh, smaller teams being able to buy the one six turbos from the, from the major manufacturers for cheaper um, it seems like a really big effort to go through just to end up at that conclusion, but that does seem to be the, the takeaway is it's not the right thing to have two separate and fairly different engine formulas to try to balance those to be perfect because there's probably going to be differences, especially think about go to Mexico and it's high altitude and all of a sudden the turbos work better and are they going to rebalance? Oh, you, that, because you have this different power, now you can have this many more, whatever, your wing can be slightly different or your tires. It's like, no, that just gets so complicated so quickly and gets away from the purity of this car is faster than that car. This guy's a better driver and whatever. Well, and other race series going down that path, other race series have uh, had what they call a reward weight, you right. know, reward penalty. You know, if you win a race, uh, you're likely to have weight added to your minimum weight standard. You're likely to have a smaller air restrictor for your engine, things like this. We know we don't want to go down that path, but I only actually halfway agree with you. I, I think that it's not, Hey, let's stick to one engine formula. I think what it really should be is the root cause. Isn't the complication of the engine. The root cause is the complication of the rule book. They really, in my opinion, need to keep safety standards as high as they ever have and have a few very strict rules and then otherwise give the teams a lot more uh, flexibility to design uh, design their own engines, design their own chassis and so on and so forth. You know, we've talked about this before, but what if you threw out the vast majority of the rule book and said, okay, you have 50 liters of fuel. You can use every race. Go. Yeah, and... I mean, we've, I think that's, I don't know if the Formula One is the place for that. We think we talked about that. And of course, with sports cars, uh, there's a couple of parallels. One is that 
you have different, uh, much different approaches in think of you know Lamont cars, prototypes, and stuff. Some are front, you know, front drive. Well, sort of. Well, that yeah, didn't, didn't quite that, work out. That proved to be a one and done. But you know, all wheel drive, rear wheel drive, um, diesel hybrids. Uh, you know how how different how they can run electrically. Some flywheel hybrids. You know, there's been just different approaches, which is really cool to see. Um, it gets so expensive very quickly when it's when it's sort of a clean sheet of paper kind of a design. Um, when what you really want to do to to properly solve that problem, or, you know, engineer your way towards a really fast car is to try every single combination you can you can possibly come up with. Oh, what if we do a rotary engine and then that's turbo and then that's triple charged and it's got two superchargers and it does this and that and like try whatever combination you can get to get the packaging and the size and the uh, and the whole thing to to work and of course get the power you want and the delivery that you like and all that. Um, that that just becomes you know I think can can potentially lead towards a bigger disparity where one team just kind of for whatever reason has the right approach and can keep moving forward with that and everyone else gets gets left way behind that's kind of what we've got right now but i feel like that could be a much bigger delta in performance between different engines uh, and different cars as the as you went forward and if the emphasis is is really on the fuel then you could get people making the complaint of like oh well you know the noise that people like so much that you know we've talked about over the course of a couple of years now yeah um you know that's that's a byproduct uh, and not really the primary function of an engine. So that's wasted energy, basically making noise. So if you end up with really quiet cars that are really efficient, that's cool in a way. And in engineering, that that is something you'd optimize for. But if everyone says, "Oh, these don't sound cool," I want I want F one to sound great, then you've sort of you've missed that mark. And then if you try to optimize for that, that just gets complicated. So I don't know that F. I mean, I, I like that idea, and I know I've proposed that idea, but I don't think Formula One is the place for that to go. Um, but the idea of just you know, I think. The, the problem is, is communication and, and telling the story of how much farther they've pushed the engine formula just in the last you know few years with the turbo and, and you know they've had curves now for a while but how much they've pushed that up um, that the combustion engine was really similar for like 80 years and they've made it more efficient and of course they've found things and they've had you know supercharging and turbocharging and various things over you know those have come and gone but how different it is now just in the last say 10 years with with curs and uh and how much they've now how much the power is electric and how that changes what they do with batteries and all these kind of things uh, and that that's that's a really interesting story but no one's championing that no you know there's, there's the fia or you know the fom isn't coming out to say hey look look you know look how how different this is how much fuel was actually used and how much this development is and how great this is and how this is going to help your road cars and you know in the next couple of decades uh become more efficient and make really fun cars that are still efficient and all that like that seems to be still be the the issue is uh, people just say oh these cars don't sound as cool they don't know all the other benefits that these cars have necessarily uh, but there's it's just not not talking to the fans so the I think the scrapping of the two different form engine formulas is the right thing in my opinion agree with um, that that in practical in formula one in 2016 17 18 you know that that's um it would be cool to have all different manner of approaches and see which one just wins out that's that's a, a one approach but um i don't think that's really sort of feasible in the in the foreseeable future for formula one so for now to at least have okay let's all have the same engine let's figure out the deal of how much customer teams are going to pay for the uh to the to the manufacturers to actually get those engines but we've got uh hopefully a, a closing gap that ferrari you know is able to keep up that Renault is able to do well and that honda hopefully can get their you know partnership with mclaren working on the right uh, get everybody on the same song sheet there and and move that forward so that it's not a two-tier thing and we don't have huge disparities and then everyone can go forward and go out and race so Daniel Ricardo finished eighth in the championship. Daniel Kafiat finished seventh in the championship. Ninety-five points versus ninety-two. That proved to be a very good close pairing. And that's despite the fact that uh, you know Ricardo is going to retire any time. I mean, he's not twenty-five yet. 
Thank goodness, but he's about to be. <laughs> is he only 24? Yeah, I think wow. so. Uh, which, you know, is ancient. I, I get it. Um, I'm curious to know what you thought. So overall, was this, uh, this season good or bad? And uh, tell me tell me some good, tell me some bad. So the way that you and I watch the race and then podcast about it race by race, I don't often sort of sit and reflect and think about the whole season. That's, you know, hopefully in maybe in a couple of weeks or whenever we'll have a sort of a season wrap up and can have a, a wider view and sort of think back on the other races and look at clips of different right. incidents Right, but this is, this is like straight from your in gut. In terms of fresh first, in the mind. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess I'm, I, I, I try to stay positive on this, even when there's races that are kind of boring to try to find what's, what's interesting about it. And, uh, you know, I follow enough uh, different blogs and things to sort of see even that, you know, even if the race itself wasn't that interesting to know a little bit enough about what's going on behind the scenes to try to find positive stuff. So I've never had uh, a whole season of F1 where I go, oh, this is really lame. You know, we should stop. We should stop watching the race and stop doing the podcast and just, uh, you know what, I'm just going to go watch IndyCar instead or Formula E. That's really where all the all the action is or anything like that. You know, like uh, it's there's always there's always stories. Um, and just I think because of the fact that it is the highest level of motorsport and the fastest lap times, that's going to that's going to attract, you know, certain engineers, certain talent, certain personalities, um, you know, all the money that's involved is crazy. So um, there's always there's always positive stuff. Uh, I always have a desire, haven't acted on it in a while um, to go and attend a race in person just to kind of be back in front of the cars and seeing, you know, seeing them all in person and just kind of being a part of that atmosphere. So I'm God, still is it is both of us. I think the last time was uh, USF one 2012 USGP. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's been three years now since, uh, since we've been to uh, a Grand Prix in person, um, you know, maybe, you know, since then you and I have both become hybrids ourselves. So maybe yeah. we should go and, uh, uh, see our hybrid brethren in action. Right. And, uh, you still haven't been to the, the race in Montreal. That is a great one. Um, and, uh, you know, neither of us have been to the, uh, the, you know, the track, I guess I've been to the track, but Mexican Grand Prix, I think is, is high on that list. Yeah. That would well, be a fun one. And for me, I've been to the track, but, uh, the Belgian Grand Prix. Right. And Spa Francorchamps. Baku, Azerbaijan. That seems like a really kind of crazy place. I would like to go there. Um, I know it's kind of a, not, not a, not in a lot of people's first choices of cool places to go, but I mean, I went to the, you know, the Crimean coast, uh, right by Sochi and, and I was in the Ukraine side, but. Um, that was a really lovely place to go as well. I wouldn't have thought to go, but, um, you know, I guess if you, as long as you have patience ordering beer, then I think, uh, you know, you can get by. Okay. So anyway, there's plenty of, you know, there's still a desire there. So in terms of, in general, I would say it's a positive feeling of, um, of what's going on. I like that. Yeah. But this wasn't a, are you pro or against formula one? I mean, I think we both are just by virtue and we tend to be in general cheerleaders of the sport, but we have now watched several seasons together. Um, how does this season stack up amongst those? I mean, and I'll, I don't know. For me, this was a so-so season at best. Um, there was a little bit more momentum going on Mercedes' side. The reliability was sorted out a little better on Mercedes' side. Uh, McLaren, uh, hopes were really high for that, but that, started off really weird with the Alonzo mystery crash and uh, just kind of fizzled into nothing and blaming and stuff like that. And then Red Bull uh, getting into uh, a pouty shouting match with its engine supplier, Renault. Uh, 
things like that were just a little bit too much for me to take. And I'm looking back at it and saying, eh, as Formula One seasons go, this one was not the best. Right. And I guess one of the metrics I would think about is how, you know, before we watch the race, am I, you know, anticipating it? And, and I can't wait to turn around. Man, I have to see what happens. And of course, when we've had really, really close season finales, as we've had several years, you know, we've been doing this podcast for like eight years. So, uh, you know, we've had, Yeesh. yeah, Yeesh. we've had several, you know, uh, last lap slash, you know, last race. Did you know that we were both in our 20s? Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, wow. So when the beginning of 2015, it was like, oh, man, McLaren, Honda, they're going to have Alonzo and Button. This is going to be amazing. And then, like you say, that kind of fizzled out pretty quickly. Um, I was, you know, and, and now I find myself the same way. Like, I'm excited to see what Haas F1 can do. I'm excited to see what Manor can do with the new, uh, you know, new powertrain and all that. I don't expect they're going to be on the podium or anything, but just to... There's a lot of excitement right. for 2016. So there's a lot of that um, that uh, that has come together. But I have to say, um, having Alexander Rossi in the car, that's been cool. And, of course, throughout this year, we've seen... And he performed very well. Right. Uh, and, you know, we've seen the some of the, the things being put in place for next year. And, yeah, okay, Honda had a, had a dismal year, as we've talked about, but to be able to learn from this and go into 2016. I'm excited about that. So, uh, yeah, having the championships clinched so early relatively in the season, um, you know, with, with today's race, I was like, yeah, it'd be interesting to see who comes forth. Is it Raikkonen or is it Botas? But, uh, you know, this morning before we turned the TV on, I'm like, yeah, I'm excited to watch Formula One. It's the last one of the year. That's going to be cool. But it wasn't, it wasn't like edge of my seat. Like, oh man, I can't wait. Right. Like, Dude, no. we got to watch it now. I got it. I really need to, man, this is going to be so cool. It's kind of like, yeah, we all kind of know what's, you know, it doesn't really matter what happens at the very top of the grid and, you know, the fourth you, place. Okay, great. You know, double points, double points for last time. That, that would do it. That would be, that was the only problem with this season. Except compared you need to last quadruple time. points though to yes. actually. Make Although it. I'm not sure if it were double points. Let's let's go back. Let's reverse engineer this a little bit. If it were double points, um, all else equal, Hamilton would not have secured the championship at the USGP, and it would have come down to the last race. Right, but then Rosberg would have been under pressure in Mexico. And then he would have choked, and then it would have been clinched there <laughs> right. instead of in the U.S. And then in Brazil, if he were still in the championship somehow, then he would have come under pressure then. He would have clinched, and then he would have run wide, and then and the wall. And ultimately, all it would have done is uh, Rosberg would have still had a slim chance in Mexico, still had a slim chance in uh, – no, he would have had a slim chance in Mexico and then would have lost in Brazil. Right. So, I mean, who knows, right, if uh, if things were calculated differently right? for that. I mean, did wait, am I doing this right? I'm not so sure that I am now. Well, because he won Mexico, so he, he would He won Mexico, and he won Brazil. Right. But because Hamilton was second, there was way more than 50 points yeah, yeah. separated. You know what I'm saying? So, so it would have dragged it out, but not... It would have dragged it out a little bit farther. Right, and Botas may have pushed harder today to... Oh, who knows? So, yeah, the, I mean, the double points thing just seemed goofball. And, uh, you know, I'm okay. That I, I recognize that it kind of did what it was supposed to do, but that that's just not really quite the right way to, to go about it. And that hopefully um, we've got a more balanced uh, championship. Um, but, you know, for Mercedes as a manufacturer, it's great for them to be able to sort of show, uh, hey, we make really good cars and we're really good engineering. And that's what it takes to win. So the fact that they can be dominant and as a manufacturer, that's bringing a lot of money and, and you know, that's, that's a good thing for formula one that they have been able to prove that. But I think the, the, the change is when it just goes on forever, if no one catches up, then it just gets boring. But I don't, I don't mind some periods of dominance and these things shift, of course, over time, it was Red Bull for a while and now how far back they've fallen. Um, and it was Ferrari for a while, of course. And, you know, for a season, it was Braun for half a season, you know, like, well, it, it, it was Ferrari and then Renault, 
got strong, and they didn't have as much of a period of dominance, but they were still those two championships in a row. Right. Then it was properly a mix because it was Ferrari, then uh, McLaren, and then Braun. And then we got into the Red Bull dominance era. Right. And now we're in the Mercedes dominance era. And it absolutely will shift. There's That's definitely true. But, yeah, I'm with you. I don't mind um, the area, areas of dominance. But you have to say um, those areas of dominance are more interesting to look back on, the history of them. Uh, when you're there going race to race, it is more exciting if, it's, if there's no one dominant player, right? Right. And, uh, but I do think that one of the strongest things that 2015 has done has led into a potentially epic 2016 season. Um, because obviously for you and I, what's got to be the most exciting is the fact that we're going to have an American Formula One team to support. And I think that Gene Haas is going about all of this the right way. Right. And... That's fantastic to see. But aside from that, there's lots of other new things happening. What is the biggest thing to anticipate for 2016 for you? Uh, I'm I, I'm excited about Haas F1, but it's not like, I can't wait to see. It's just not like, that's going to be cool. Hopefully that's also good for, you know, more of our friends, more of our American friends that are, you know, may hear about it or maybe may become, you know, aware of Formula One. That's That's all good, but it's not like... Uh, I have some passionate, uh, you know, support for that. I'm more excited about Alexander Rossi potentially having a chance, you know, with a, if the manner is then better um, and that he's able to show what he can do and then maybe get into a, a higher level team or whatever. Like, Oh, my fingers the, are crossed for that. As the sure. driver is a more exciting um, sort of, you know, entity to follow than just simply the team. Um, I do hope that when the Haas car shows up for Circuit of the Americas in the USGP, I hope it has a giant bald eagle on the side. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it'd be camouflage, stars and stripes going, maybe, I don't know, some guns on there. Like, just, you know, I hope they can really play. I up. hope there's no guns uh, specifically, but other than that. Well, hashtag America, and they're in Texas. Maybe a giant hat on the side. I don't know, something. I want a huge Pizza Hut logo. Melted cheese uh, everywhere. <laughs> That's right. I think is, yeah. we can all agree on cheese. Ooh, no. We're, look, uh, Hot Pockets. Surrounded <laughs> by Hot Pockets. Oh. <laughs> Hot Pockets and Egos, right? Like, you know, just boom, boom, boom. You know, maybe some Swanson TV dinners on the back. But honestly, I think probably probably Ferrari properly giving Mercedes a run for their money is that, that in terms of what, you know, I can't wait to watch, can't wait to watch this race because I don't know who's going to win is I think really the, the best thing. And it's, it's all great to see, okay, maybe McLaren will take a step forward. I really hope, I mean, they can barely take a step back. So yes, McLaren will probably go forward. They, well, could, they could take one step back. <laughs> well, could be zero points would be a step back. Um, but you get like winning is ultimately what is the most exciting. And I doubt Haas is going to be in there for the wins right away. And Rossi probably will take some time if, if he has the chance. And I really hope that he does. But again, that's not winning yet. So for, for me, really, the ability to have a Ferrari um, and, you know, not just win a few times, you know, the three times that they did in 2015, but to really not know who's going to win um, and who has the best chance of it um, before the race, that'll be great. Um, I'm you know, following the drama between Nico and Lewis is interesting because between the two of them, we don't always know who's going to win. But um, honestly, I'm more excited about kind of one one team out engineering and out crafting and out strategizing another more so than I am about the who's pissed at whom and who thinks that they were, you know, there was wrongdoing or the sort of the, the, the personal politics aren't as interesting to me as the team strategies and the engineering behind it. So um, at a team level, I hope that the drivers can 
uh, be peaceful to each other and seeing people sulk on the podium after just winning a race and then being upset about it or coming <laughs> second in a race and wow. thinking it's like the worst day of their life. That it's like, okay, come on, guys, let's let's keep an eye on what's really going on here, and you're, it's all part of uh, part of the whole thing. So, that's, I don't know if that answers your question. I guess that was a couple of things. Well, so we have uh, it's very likely 2016 is very likely to be uh, Kimi Raikkonen's last year in Formula One. It's very likely to be Jensen Button's last year in Formula One. I'm big fans of both of those guys. Um, we have Haas F1 coming in. We've talked about that, but we also have um, a real potential coup coming with Aston Martin uh, entering Force India and Force India uh, doing the best they've ever done. So they're going to get a bigger share of the uh, FOM money yep. to, that goes to constructors. And if they have this big uh, sponsorship deal coin, that's going to be a big uh, boom for, in money for them to develop the car. Strong drivers, et cetera, et cetera. I'm really excited to see uh, how McLaren does. I'm really excited to see uh, what Manor can do right. with uh, Mercedes powers and uh, the connection with Williams. Um, that could really push them forward. And what I think... 2016 has a chance to be doing is there's no such thing as backmarkers anymore. So it's less a less of a oh there's really tight things at the front. Um, more of a, there's no no one at the back. No one struggling to make the 107 percent in qualifying. You know? All ten teams right. have a chance to score points. All ten teams have a real shot at Q2 and even the occasional Q3. Um, of course, uh, we will now have 11 teams. But uh, all the teams, you know, Haas, where they're going to start, that's a huge question mark. Um, but I think there's a chance for 2016 to be one of the mo- more, one of the most robust team uh, um, seasons because all the teams are strong. There's no such thing as a weak team. Developments have happened to push everyone forward. That's what's exciting for me. Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree with all that. That you know, someone of course is going to come last, but like, like not knowing uh, who's going to be out in Q one. You know, of course, for a long time it was like, well, it's probably you know, it's, it's going to be the Marushas, it's going to be Caterham. Um, you know, it's uh, right. It was going to be so. It's Marushas, Caterham, and who else? Right. That's that was the question, right? And yeah, so to be able to. Uh, you know, to not actually know. I mean, you know, maybe Sauber becomes the back marker at that point, and just, you know, hopefully they can. You know, hopefully everyone can sort of keep moving forward. But, but yeah, even, theoretically, even but if they were, closer. they'd still be them. Yeah, and they'd be getting points, and exactly and be, right, and they'd be doing that. So yeah, it should be good. But then also for 2017, uh, like you talked about, um, you know, Raikkonen probably out, Button probably out, Felipe Massa pretty reasonable chance. So then who who starts to shake up and who gets? Who gets a Ferrari drive? Especially if Ferrari is right on top of the game. You know, who who moves up into that seat, and how does that shake up the rest of the driver market? That becomes well, really interesting. Botas, I'm sure, isn't going to escape anyone's mind at Ferrari. But uh, Romain Grosjean, a big reason why he's moving to Haas, is because he's eyeing a Ferrari seat. Right, and then does that? So the cascades from that can go a million permutations. And oh, then Rossi's in the Haas car, or then uh, you know Botas goes to here. Then if there's exactly. a two open seats at Williams, and if they're pretty strong, then you could get some guys moving to there. So. That's that's also what's kind of interesting is we don't have that many driver moves for uh, for 2016. You know, Esteban Gutierrez, maybe he'll come out and do well. That's like you know not a super exciting choice because we've seen him race before, but he still could have some uh, could have, could have some stuff. Uh, we don't have any any anything confirmed for Manor yet in terms of the driver lineup. So we hope Rossi has a seat and probably Will Stevens, but we don't know that yet. 
so that's the other thing is, is how this starts to shake up at the top of the grid once the pieces start moving, especially if Kimi Raikkonen uh, officially announces he's retiring. Um, but also if the McLaren's better, then Button's retirement may mean a little bit more if people want to start actually, you know, if that's a sought-after seat uh, rather than, you know, with the Ferrari definitely is a sought-after seat. And uh, who, who, goes, who moves into that spot and then how the chips fall out after that could be really interesting because then all of a sudden if, if Hulkenberg moves up, if Grosjean moves up, and then how good are the cars that they're leaving and who wants to move into there, that could be really interesting as the silly season starts to unfold. That's a ways off for now, but still... Kind of interesting to see how that's going to get set up over the course of next year. Uh, exactly right, and I'm just I'm looking down the list, and I I think you're right. I think Moss is a good person to look at, and I really we should say Alonso is a possibility, yeah, as well. It depends, I think, largely on how the season goes in McLaren next year. Uh, Alonso, I think, is fairly determined to get some more results out of Formula One before he's done. Uh, but I don't see his patience lasting much longer. And if we add Alonso to the list, that's four major, major players in Formula One that could be out. And who's going to start filling those gaps? You know, obviously Verstappen's an easy one to predict. Um, will uh, uh, Nicholas uh, Nicholas Manansian? No, who am I thinking of? Uh, Kevin Magnussen. Kevin Magnussen. Uh, will he find his way back into Formula One? Yeah. Will Stoffel Vendorn make his way up? Yeah. There's. Adderley Fong, who knows? There's all kinds of people that yeah. uh, could get moved around. Um, who, who is going to? Who are going to fill those voids? And and just like you say, as as you mentioned uh, or implied at least, the 2017 big rule changes. How is that going to shift things around? You know, this is 2016 will be the swan song of this uh, transitional era of Formula One, where where tr- they try to move into the 21st se- century. And some people think they missed the mark and sh- should go back. Other people miss the mark and should go farther forward. It's going to be a real big question mark. Right. And the results of 2016 are going to do a lot to uh, de- uh, you know, develop the attitudes of people in which direction to go for 2017. Yeah, they, they're going to have to get the actual rule changes set pretty soon. Uh, for 2017, but I think it's also pretty likely that, that those big changes can be moved back as well. Um, exactly right. And say, oh, let's make that 2018 or 19 now, and then see how things shake out and, you know, how the politics are. And, I mean, if Honda leaves, if they get fed up and say, oh, this isn't going to work, and then that's a manufacturer out, that could change things. Or if another manufacturer actually comes in and likes what, you know, you know, if the Renault thing doesn't quite pan out how they want and then something else happens. I mean, there's a lot of ways this could go. And uh, I don't want to, you know, just look at today and extrapolate too far into the future, but it is uh, it's uh, definitely interesting to talk about. One prediction, uh, one championship that has been wrapped up is the 2015 Fun with Cars Predictions Championship. It's the end of the year. It went down to the wire on this one, and we have to con- send massive congratulations and apparently 38 cokes to Nick Drabchuk, who came in first place with 38 points over the course of the whole year. Um, and that a- is not a lot of points. I think that is the lowest scoring finish. Ever. Yeah, which also tells you that it was a more boring season because it was more consistent and predictable. But um, for a solid first place with 38 points ahead of a tie for second, only one point behind between Rich Danby and Jonathan Coster. Um, fourth place is shared by Nils Erlamo, who was in the lead for a long time. That's exactly right. And he just right at the end lost out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I know. I think believed in Hamilton when uh, when it turned Rosberg's way. And uh, Nick apparently uh, got that correct. Uh, Nils Erlamo and J- Jamie Bell share fourth place tie. Um, I and a bunch of other people have 41 points for sixth place and on down from there. Um, but uh, now let's see where uh, 
Damien the Predictions model ended up in 55th place uh, with 53 points. Um, so it's good to Which see that we came out ahead of the humans. As predictable as this championship was, it was not predictable enough for our simple heuristic model to handle. Like race to race, Damien got hosed a few times with some, you know, qualifying problems for like Hamilton after he had, you know, done really well. Like every once in a while, you know, the Damien got hosed and uh, we did not. You, sir, ended up in 94th spot with 89 points over the course of the season. Yeah. So well done to you. You're into the double digits. I took a, I took a couple of... Uh, Took a couple of gambles and uh, none of them paid off. And my <laughs> some of them paid off. My start of the season with Botas proved uh, a, a bad, uh, bad leg. When he did a bad not, one to start and did not overcome. When that. he did not start the race because he had a back thing. Yeah, it's like okay, yeah. Honorable mention to Will Carver, 124th and final spot with 551 points with the button prediction over the course of the season uh, is what it is. So congratulations again to Nick and really everyone uh, near the top of the grid for keeping up with it and, uh, you know, making predictions and doing quite well. Um, and uh, I feel pretty happy to have come sixth and, you know, tying with uh, about 20 people for sixth place. So uh, a bunch of us did uh, did very similarly, and uh, I'm happy to be a part of that. And we'll have to figure out, um, you know, get something exciting going for Nick to uh, congratulate him for taking part in the predictions and winning 2015 Fun with Cars Predictions Championship. Yes, uh, all the congratulations to him. This is the end of the 2015 Formula One season. I, however, feel confident that this will not be the end of the 2015 Fun with Cars podcast. We will be back. There are no specific plans as to when we'll be back or what we'll be back doing or how we'll be back even exactly. Could be an all-musical episode. We'll just sing the whole thing. It's It's possible. It'll be Robin doing his Claire Williams impression. It's going to be lovely. What? Uh, it's unlikely all those things. Um, oh. But we will, uh, we will definitely be back, and we are excited to. Well, we we need to chat with uh, Jamie Price again. Talk to him a little bit about his uh, Formula One season from behind the lens. It was fascinating to see, and he's doing a bunch of other cool stuff. Uh, also with uh, Lamborghini, and he also did some World Endurance Challenge. So we might expand there a little bit too. Uh, you mentioned WEC there briefly in the context of Jamie Price. I would wish to shout out to Mark Weber for winning his first world championship in the WEC. Get his due. I was very happy to see that. And I think didn't uh, didn't he fit, he closed out the season with four wins in a row? Because I think it, I, if I remember correctly, it was like five wins in a row. I think Porsche did but with I don't, I don't, por- for Porsche. Yeah, I don't know. Five that. wins in a row for Porsche with uh, you know Lamar being the first of them, and then uh, Mark Weber's team. They won four in a row or something crazy like that. Anyway. I don't have that data in front of me, so I cannot confirm or deny. I'm, but, I'm behind. I'm watching. I'm catching Mar- up on my WEC race. But Mark Weber did, in fact, win the championship along with his team, and congratulations to him. That's a big shout-out. But anyway, we will be back, and uh, I guess this is as good a time as any to say uh, a sincere thank you to each and every one of you for listening to us. It's... Uh, it's a labor of love, this podcast, and we really appreciate that you appreciate us, and just thank you for it. Right. So I uh, can echo those sentiments, and uh, thank you as always echo, for listening. Echo, 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 sentiments, sentiments, sentiments. <laughs>
<laughs> it's the end of the season. I officially, there's nothing to hold me back from being completely ridiculous. As opposed to the rest of the season, which I don't know. I'm so reserved, then. usually. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> to uh, take part in more of what we do, you can visit funwithcars.com. Cars, cars, uh, cars. There's, there's that no, sentiment I'm, again. I'm echoing you now. Yes, uh, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> There's a link to our Facebook page where you can post stuff that you find interesting that you want to share with uh, with us and our other fans. Uh, you can comment on the uh, on the on the podcast episodes there. Uh, there's a link to the Twitter feed for keeping up with stuff in real time. Of course, today's race uh, was pretty early in the morning for us to, to get together and get everything going. So uh, we did this one tape delayed. But thank you to those taking part in uh, Twittering at hashtag FWCars. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, there's not – just because there's not going to be races to rally around, uh, there still should be times we can uh, we can get together and uh, hang out virtually on the Facebook and Twitter feeds. And, as Robin says, put together a couple more podcasts in the off season. So until then, thank you for listening. As always, I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner. Thank you again for 2015. Can't wait for an amazing 2016.